a Pac-12 coach on the hot seat, plus our week five picks. You can't miss it. Kanzano and Wilner, the podcast, starts now. What's better than one, John? Here's Johnny. Hmm, nobody really knows. That's why we put two of them together. This is Kanzano and Wilner, a.k.a. John and John. Welcome to another episode of the Kanzano and Wilner podcast. Glad that you're here for it. I'm John Kanzano. You can read me exclusively at johnkanzano.com. I'm John Wilner, Bay Area News Group, Pac12Hotline.com, and we are available at media outlets throughout the Pac12 footprint. We got a lot to talk about uh, this week. A couple of huge games, coaching situation, but uh, I wanted to ask you first. You know, there was a report yesterday, CBS, about the future of the Pac12, kind of made it sound pretty uh, pretty ominous. What, what did you think? Yeah, I, I read that headline, uh, Pac-12 in danger of eventual collapse as Big Ten considers further expansion. Big 12 interest looms. I mean, what jumped out at me right away was SEO. That's search engine optimization done brilliantly in the headline. So it, I feel like that headline is designed to rope in the Pac-12 fan, rope in the Big Ten fan, rope in the Big 12 fan. And I think the whole piece, the whole I, I really feel like the aim of the whole piece was really to rope us all in. Um, so that disappoints me when I read a report like that, and it's just I kind of get to the end of it, and it's like a ball of yarn that's unraveling in my hands. And at the very end, it's like, you know, this might happen or maybe happen. or And, and at the end of it, I'm, I was left going like, well, I might go for a 10K run after I read this. <laughs> I might go powerlifting after I read this, or I might just sit on the couch and write something or get on my phone. Like, like I pride myself on being sourced. I pride myself on having in-depth, uh, you know, writing and, and sourced reports, check with multiple people. So this report comes out, and I immediately start calling around. I start calling people, well-placed people in the Pac-12, people in the media world, people at, uh, you know, with the TV networks and and ADs and other conferences, and nobody is hearing this stuff in this form or fashion. Like, I think we all know there's a lot of interest in the Big Ten, the Big 12, the Pac-12 right now, but nobody is reporting this. Nobody else is reporting this. Like, I went around and looked at all the other reputable uh, reporters in college football that, that I respect and that I read and you know, at The Athletic and ESPN and SI and other places. Nobody else is reporting this, and so it— you know, I feel like, you know, either everybody took yesterday off after reading this or everybody called around like I did after seeing the report and went, you know, there's not much here. Like if, maybe, might. Yeah, I I may decide to run a marathon. Maybe, maybe next year. Maybe, maybe we can get lunch next week. That's what it felt like to me when I read it. And so, look, do I believe that the Pac-12 is anxious? Do I believe that people are anxious? Do I believe that Oregon and Washington, Stanford probably doing their diligence with consultants? Absolutely. Do I think the Big 12 would love to have the Four Corners school from the Pac-12? Absolutely. Do I believe that the Big 10 would love to, you know, get Oregon and Washington at a discount? Absolutely. But none of that happens if the ensuing media rights deal that the Pac-12 is currently negotiating comes to fruition in the way that, you know, most industry insiders think it will. So I think it's just a, it's speculation. It's might, it's maybe, it's something to do on a midweek Piece. And I guess it's good for people having debates and it's good for Twitter and stuff. But, you know, I'm looking at reputable, sourced, 
people and they're looking back at me and going, you know, I'm just not hearing this. So I, you know, I, I feel like at this point I got to take the, you know, Colorado chancellor who went public with the Boulder daily camera and said, you know, I feel like, you know, all 10 universities are sticking together and I got to take the word of the ADs, the multiple ADs, the multiple university presidents that I have talked with people at the PAC 12 offices that I've talked with, everybody's saying the same thing. They all feel like they're galvanized and headed in the right direction. And until we see something otherwise, that's what I believe is happening. I think that, that the PAC 12 is galvanized. I think it is moving in the right direction. I do think they'll get a media rights deal done. I think the college football playoff was a game changer. Oregon, Washington, if I'm them, I'm seriously hesitant about joining a big 10 where I have to get by Ohio state, Michigan and others to get to the playoff. I, you know, I think Oregon and Washington, if they stay in the Pac-12, probably believe that three out of 10 years they could get to the playoff through the Pac-12. So I, I just think there's a lot of reasons why the Pac-12 looks like a better option right now. And do I think college football is going to look different a decade from now or 20 years from now? Absolutely. But I read that report. I was really disappointed because it just it it left me. It was like going to going to dinner, Wilner. And at the end of the meal, I was still hungry. Yeah, I mean, certainly Things are going to change eventually, whether it's this this fall or, you know, in five years, 10 years, it, it's going to happen. The, the thing that is important for listeners, I think, and there's been a narrative out there about valuations, right? And valuing media rights is, is a very difficult thing. And, uh, you know, I've been writing about this for 10, 12 years since the Pac-12 did its original deal with Fox and ESPN. The media valuations that have been circulating on reports and on social media since since June 30th about the Pac-12 are, are completely wrong, completely wrong. And I don't know for 100% sure that the Pac-12 is going to stick together this fall and sign a, a media deal, right? It's not guaranteed. It seems that way. I think that's the most likely scenario. But I do know this. And that is if the 10 schools sign a media deal, there is no chance whatsoever. There is no planet on which its media valuations are in the 20 millions per year per school. No planet, no universe is that happening. I don't know exactly what they're going to get, but it's going to be 35, 40, 45 million per school per year, somewhere in there if they stick together. So fans should just, whether you're a fan of the Big 12, Pac-12, whatever, the Pac-12's media deal, if it gets signed, is going to be minimum in the third, mid to high 30 millions per, per school per year. Well, and that's, so, be, that's because you're sourced and you're talking to people. You're not just citing industry sources. You're actually quoting actual executives who worked in that world. And I, you know, Bob Thompson, the former Fox Sports Network's president, you know, he, I've, I've talked to him a number of times and texted a number of times and emailed back and forth. And I asked him for those valuations um, a number of times, conservative and otherwise, if they did unequal revenue sharing and equal revenue sharing. And at no point in time did he come back to me with anything that was under $30 million. He was at 34, 38 million, talking about how ambitious it would be to get 40 million if you were the Pac-12. It's not that hard to get media world executives on the record with valuations. I've done it. Others have done it. So, you know, again, there's a place and a time 
in journalism for an unnamed source. There, you know, we all use sources. But in this case, I feel like, you know, if you're putting numbers like that out there, there's a pretty easy way to get a media executive or a former media executive to go on the record with what the numbers are. I'll come back to it again. Read John Wilner. Read him if you want quality, in-depth, sourced reporting. Read me at johnconzano.com if you want in-depth, sourced reporting. You know, we're not going to lie to you. We're not going to mislead you. I'm not going to listen to a consultant or a PR person who tries to nudge me in a direction without asking multiple questions about what I'm writing about. And that's, I think that's what frustrated me yesterday is I think it riled up a bunch of people. And I think, you know, none of the other entities followed it with any kind of reporting. And, you know, I guess it gets page views, SEO, Pac-12, Big Ten, Big 12, danger of collapse, great graphic with the Pac-12 logo. It's got cracks through it and everything. I mean, really dramatic stuff. But again, I, I was hungry at the end of that meal. But one more thing that I'll add to just from the math, for the math, right? The Pac-12's, the final year of its tier one deal with Fox and ESPN is fiscal 2024, right? So it's the 2023, 20, it's next football season, basically. Each school is going to get about $27 million out of that deal with Fox and ESPN. It's based on a 5% escalator that started 12 years ago, right? So if the Pac-12, if you believe the Pac-12 is going to get in the mid to low 20 million per school, what you're saying is that they're not, there's no increase whatsoever. Now, granted, they lost the LA market and that's a sizable chunk. There's no, no disputing that, right? Whether that's 25% of the valuation, 30%, I don't know exactly, right? But the bottom line is since that deal was done in 2011, media rights for live sports and especially for college football have, have doubled. I mean, just look at what the Big Ten just did, right? And so if you think it's going to be in the 20s, then you're saying basically the Pac-12 isn't getting any increase in valuation uh, for what the marketplace is, is showing over the last 10 to 12 years. And that's that's just dead wrong, right? I don't know if they're going to double, but certainly there's going to be an increase. They're not only going to get hit by the loss of USC and UCLA and then not get some kind of increase for the, val for the overall valuation. So just folks should keep that in mind. The Pac-12, it, it falls within the broader landscape of sports media rights, right? And college football is near the top of that rung. So there's going to be an increase over the 27 million these schools are getting in the final year of the current deal. I also think, you know, when you talk about the TV networks, you talk about ESPN, Fox, CBS, NBC, you even talk about Amazon and Apple and maybe Turner as a potential bidder. Um, you know, people believe Turner is kicking the tires on college football, but the health of the ecosystem is valuable to all of those parties. And so I've heard people sort of speculate that ESPN would want to kill this conference or that conference or Fox wants to do this or that. Uh, I think that's nonsense. The more I talk to people who are in the industry, the more I understand, like, the, those entities need the conferences to be healthy and viable. The Pac-12 going away or the Big 12 going away, it doesn't help Fox. It doesn't help ESPN. It doesn't help the ecosystem. So, you know, those entities have made hundreds of millions of dollars 
on college sports and inventory in college athletics, uh, you know, plain and simple. So I think we need to get over the idea that somebody wants to play kingmaker or somebody wants to kill off, you know, this conference or that conference. I believe that ESPN and Fox and others want the Big 12 and the Pac-12 and the Big 10 and the ACC and the SEC and the Mountain West and Conference USA to all be healthy and viable because that is inventory that they're going to go out and sell. So I don't think anybody's interested in killing off this or that. And I think in some ways, the expansion of the college football playoff, I think, changed the calculus a little bit because I think all those entities now are pivoting going, okay, well, you know, we're going to bid on that too. That's involved in this. But I don't think that, you know, there's a motivated party out there in the media world who's going, you know, we need to kill off the Pac-12 or we need to kill off the Big 12. I think that's nonsense. It's hysteria. And I think we need to get over that. We got, uh, we're going to get to our picks here for, for this week, but one other issue I think we should probably address because it could be, there could be news, right? Pac-12 has had four in-season coaching changes in the last, what is it, 55 weeks or so. Uh, Clay Helton, uh, Jimmy Lake, and Nick Rolovich last year, and then Herm Edwards uh, just uh, relinquished command of the ASU program 10 days ago. So Colorado's next, right? Carl Durrell is now on the hottest seat in the conference. They are 0-4. They're not competitive. They're hard to watch. And, you know, we'll see what happens. I think, you know, if they lose badly in Tucson on Saturday, we probably need to pay close attention to what happens in Boulder because they've got a bye next week. They're going to make an in-season change. It could happen you know, Sunday, Monday. I don't know if it will or not. Uh, I don't. I don't have any insider information on that. But I think that it's certainly worth watching for uh, for everyone. Do you, you know, when you look at Colorado, do you see a situation that's crying for a, a coaching change right now? I felt like at the beginning of the year, you know, I think we talked about the seats being warmed, and I, I said Herm Edwards was the only coach that I thought could get fired. I'm now looking at the way Colorado's losing, and I'm rethinking that. Yeah. I'm also looking at the money that they would owe Carl Durrell. Uh, $11.4 minus what he's already been paid this contract year would be the buyout. So it's essentially about $7.8 million plus maybe another maybe another $700,000. Know? So we're talking about $8.5 million that Colorado's going to have to come up with if they let him go. Um, I, I think they're getting to the point where they know it's not going to work. They they don't see a light at the end of the tunnel. The fans are, you know, they're chanting fire Carl at the games. It I don't think Colorado, if they don't play well this week, I don't think they're going to want to go back home and endure that for the rest of the season. Do they have a donor who's willing to step up in the way that some other universities had? Because I don't think Carl Durrell is going to do what Gary Anderson did at Oregon State and come in and go, you know what, I— I'm just going to give the money back. I don't think he's going to do that, nor should he. But I think they're at that point. It's why, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about that game coming up. They're at Arizona. Like, if they can't be competitive in that game, they're not going to be competitive in any game in conference play. And so I think it's a really important week for Carl Durrell in Colorado. Yeah, it's also the first week of a Friday conference game, which means there's only five games on on Saturday, I'm kind of looking forward to uh, to that. Right, it's tough when there's yeah. 11 games, 12 games on a Saturday, and 
you know, you're trying to track every one of them when they're being two or three are being played at once. And All right, starting right, so at 11. Let me you ask you, to- let me ask you a question I, before we get into our picks. Uh, Wilner, you're all over this stuff every weekend, right? I'm, I'm at the games, uh, you know, I'm traveling, and a lot of times I'll get an alert. Wilner's tweeting something, and I'll look. I got to know, and I think our listeners want to know, how do you manage watching all the games on the weekend, especially with a Friday, now a Saturday? Like, what is your process? What does that look like in your living room? Do you have multiple TVs set up? What is going on? Man, I'd love to tell you that I have a man cave with three big screens, but it's the opposite situation. Uh, yeah, it, it's tough to follow all of them. And the honest answer is that I don't see, I certainly don't see every play of every game, right? If there's a game that's turned lopsided, I'm not going to watch that. If there's a game against, uh, you know, FCS, um, probably not going to watch that unless it's down to the wire, you know, Washington, Montana, Arizona, NAU, something like that. So I don't, I certainly don't see every play of every game, but, and it's very, you know, it is very uh, unexciting how I watch games. I basically sit most of the time. I'm just sitting at my computer uh, at the dining room table and I've got multiple screens up. I've got, I'm watching sling for PAC 12 networks and I'm watching uh, whatever games are on ESPN or Fox on YouTube TV. And I'm flipping back and forth and sometimes I'll pause and move forward. And I'm, I'm, checking you know twitter to watch to follow the beat writers to explain what they're so that you know they'll they'll tell you what's going on in real time if it's a game i'm not watching i follow espn gamecast you know to check everything it's just constant movement of round to to track as much as i can uh and it goes on you know in the non-conference season it goes on for 12 hours and then at 11 o'clock 11 30 at night i sit down to start writing my my saturday night wrap-up column uh, it is easier when the conference season starts for me, for sure, just because there's not as many games. I mean, this Saturday, right? We've got one game at 11 and one game at 2.30, and then there's three evening games. So it will be a little bit more uh, manageable at this point. That's one reason I like the Friday games is you can really focus on them, and it takes it takes the uh, the quantity down for the, for the Saturday games. I know you go to, you know, you're at – traveling some you're certainly at eugene and corvallis a lot but are you when you don't go to games are you watching on multiple screens i'm generally on the road or at a stadium every weekend and and part of my new thing when i decided to go rogue and go on my own and launch johnconzano.com was i made a commitment to go where the stories are going to take me so uh you know i'm going to go to some pac-12 games that are not oregon and oregon state related uh, you know, I I will be in some other stadiums telling some other stories. I got plans in, in the next two weeks to do that. So that's going to happen. But generally what happens is, you know, I'm at I'm at what I think is the most interesting game that is in my region uh, or now maybe the most interesting game in the conference every week. And then I'm I'm kind of paying attention to maybe one or two other games that I'm really into. Like it just so happens this week we got that Washington UCLA game. It happens to be on a Friday night. I considered going to UCLA, popping over there, and then popping over to Salt Lake City for Saturday morning's game with Oregon State-Utah, but I just couldn't make it work. So I'm going to watch Washington-UCLA like everybody else on 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 ESPN just to find out which of those teams is legit. Then I'm going to be at Oregon State-Utah, and it just so happens it's the 11 a.m. game on the Pac-12 networks. So it's nice and early for me, which means I can probably catch the second half of Cal-Washington State that's at 2.30, 
And then I want to peek in at Colorado, Arizona. I'm not going to watch that whole game because, you know, I've got some self-respect, okay? Colorado, Arizona, I I don't want to sit there and watch that whole game, but I want to kind of see is Colorado competing. And then I'm curious about Arizona State, USC. That game happens to be on ESPN, so I will flip back and forth. And then Stanford, Oregon, I want to watch because I'm interested to see, you know, the Stanford always plays Oregon tough, but will they this year? So generally when I'm at the stadium, there's a game going on in front of me. I will get my computer up and I will launch, uh, you know, an app or Hulu or whatever, and I'll watch another game kind of off to the side uh, in between plays. I'm just kind of casually watching. Like I, I was watching Cal Notre Dame that way a few weeks ago. But I, I, I'm not watching wire to wire. But I think in today's world, and you know, you know, it frustrated me a little bit when, when ESPN and ABC kind of gave us the Aaron Judge watch, where they were kind of peeking in at his at bats last weekend yep. during games. It bothered me because I feel like we're all in this media world where we all have access to multiple devices: our phones, our laptops, you know, TV screens. We have remote controls. Some you can toggle back and forth. Like, I feel like we can all kind of watch what we want to watch, even if we're watching differently. Like, I know fantasy sports change that in people, too. They could flip around a little bit. But it, it's a little insulting to me when, like, they go picture in picture and they go, oh, here's Aaron Judge. I'm like, if anybody cared, they're already flipping over there and kind of watching Aaron Judge. Anyway, that's kind of how I how I focus on college football games, if that makes any sense. But I'm fascinated by your process. You should put a... You should put like a Wilner cam on you on Saturdays. Just show you sitting at your dining room table, Ugh. kids walking through the room. You know, you're you're like, I'm work. Dad's working over here, doing serious work, watching the college football. Yeah, games. that would uh, that would get less distribution than the Pac-12 networks. <laughs> um, I love it. But no, we look. We do different. We do different things, right? And I, my my job is to watch as many plays of as many games as I possibly can. And and yours, uh, you've got a broader broader perspective for sure. He is the fabulous John Canzano, johncanzano.com. I am John Wilner at the Bay Area News Group Pac-12 Hotline. And so we get to our week five picks. Well, I guess we should probably start with Friday night, right? Let's do it. Washington at UCLA, 7.30 Pacific time, ESPN. What do you see? I see the most interesting game of the weekend, to be honest, because there's a lot of questions, I think, about both teams. As good as Washington has looked, they haven't played a road game. You know, Michigan State, uh, I'm not sure that that was the quality, you know, the high-level win that we thought, given what happened to them against Minnesota. And UCLA is the biggest unknown, I mean, in the entire Power Five, if not the country, right? Uh, just because of the the schedule. Bowling Green, South Alabama, Alabama State, and Colorado. I mean, it's not UCLA's fault that Colorado was their first conference game. But they're four games in. We have no idea if they're any good. So a lot of questions the Friday night thing always adds an interesting element, especially for the road team, which has not fared very well in Friday night conference games uh, overall. But I think it's uh, I think it's going to be two very good offenses, and we'll see how how well either defense does in terms of trying to stop the other team. I think it's going to be high scoring. You know, my guess is if I had to flip a coin, very close. Maybe the Huskies pull it out at the end, but but very high scoring. I I really like Washington in this game. I, I, I think UCLA might be the worst undefeated team in the country. Prove me wrong, Chip Kelly. I have a lot of respect for what he does. I watched him work up close, but I just I'm not sold with their non conference schedule. They're gonna have to prove it in this game. They're at home in this game. 
Washington, though, I think Michael Penix Jr. has just looked so much better than he has at any other point of his career. He had good games at Indiana, but he's having good stretches now at Washington. I really like Washington. I think it's going to be tough to go on the road on a Friday night, you know, whatever. But I think Washington wins this game. I think they. I actually think they're going to cover the two and a half. I, I have it like 35-27 Washington. But this game, to me, one team's going to walk out with a win. One team's going to walk out, you know, they've been exposed. Uh, you know, maybe yeah. Washington isn't that good. Maybe UCLA is not that good. I, I believe more in Washington right now. Sec- yeah, not fair. Yeah. The other piece to it is, you know, Kalen DeBoer just went into the Rose Bowl last September and put – Five six hundred yards up on the UCLA defense, and and you know forty points with Jake Hayner at Fresno State. So he certainly has an idea how to attack UCLA's defense. Now it's different defense, different coordinator, but it'll be real interesting to see if the Bruins are able to do a better job against DeBoer with Washington than they did against DeBoer with Fresno State. Second game Saturday morning, Oregon State going to Utah, eleven a.m. Pacific time on the Pac-12 networks. Uh, Talked to Jonathan Smith this week. Really disappointing loss for the Beavers last weekend against USC. We've talked about it. I think they felt like if they had just made this play, that play, not turned the, not thrown four interceptions, they would have won that game. He said he talked to his team on Sunday morning and got right after him about how the psychological challenge here is really important, that they have to pivot. They can't let USC essentially beat them twice. Yep. Trouble is, they're going to Salt Lake City. I think it's a tough place to play. It might be the toughest place in the conference to go. The 10.5-point spread doesn't feel right to me. It feels like too many points. But I think Utah wins this game. I think they win it close. I have it like 31-27 Utah. But really interesting psychological game for Oregon State. Yeah, I think the Beavers are in big trouble. Uh, and, and partly because of that, but also... The, that was Utah's last conference loss was Oregon State last year in Corvallis. And the Beavers ran for somewhere around 250 yards against them. And I have to think that they are going to have Utah's supreme attention, uh, given, given what happened. And to me, you know, Oregon State on the road, conference game, altitude coming off that loss. This is a tough assignment. U- Utah is the hardest team to play in the conference in terms of the the physicality of the 60 minutes, right? They, every single blade of grass is difficult to, to grasp with, with the, when you're going against Utah, right? Every play, they make it difficult. And that's what Whittingham has been doing for 15, 17 years. So that is, that's the wrong kind of team to play when emotionally you're trying to kind of pick everything back up. Then you add in the revenge factor. I'm sure Utah's going to have a better game plan against the Oregon State running game. Uh, I think it, this is a trouble game for for the Beavers, especially if Chance Nolan, you know, has a multi interception outing again. Yeah, he's got to be better. They need better quarterback play. You don't you don't win with four interceptions uh, hardly against anyone. Uh, but uh, last last year too, Oregon State blocked two Utah punts. Keep an eye That's on right. keep an eye on special teams in that game. Uh, the next game on Saturday, Cal is at Washington State, 2.30, Saturday, Pac-12 Networks. Wilner, what do you see? Is, isn't um, Washington State's kind of in the same position you, Oregon State is, except for the fact that they're at home, right? Coming, crushing loss, right? They're up 34, 22, three, four minutes left against the Ducks, and 
and then it just meltdown, right? 22 straight Oregon points. I wonder if they are having, you know, the same issues emotionally getting back up as Oregon State. And and we'll see. At least, at least they're at home. Cal has been very good uh, under Justin Wilcox on the road, especially as an underdog. They're, they're well-coached on defense, two of the best-coached defensive teams in the conference, I think. So I, I think this is going to be really close. Uh, and it could it could just come down to a special teams play here or there. But but uh, I would not be surprised if Cal wins this game outright. And it would be a huge win for Cal because, you know, that gets them up to four wins and they are in great shape to get into the postseason. I picked Cal to beat Notre Dame two weeks ago. Bears lost. I picked Arizona over Cal last week. The Bears looked great. I feel like I'm guessing when it comes to Justin Wilcox's team. Yeah, Washington State at home. Wilcox is a great coach. I think he's going to give Cam Ward, uh, Washington State's quarterback, some issues because that's what Justin Wilcox does. I think I agree with you this game is going to be close. I'm going to crawl way out on a limb here. I smell overtime in this game. I feel like this game at the end of regulation is going to be like 28-28. I'm going to take Washington State to win because they're at home. So I'm calling it 31-28 Washington State. But again, Cal fan... Don't at me. I've been wrong. I've been all wrong about Cal this year, both ways. <laughs> so I just don't, I, I have not figured Cal out. That's the one team. And, and I've been pretty good. Like I'm like 30 and eight picking games straight up. Cal's got to be like three of those losses. Like I, I just can't yeah. figure Cal out for whatever ca- reason. You've been Karnak uh, the last few weeks. There's no doubt about that. Well, one team that's easy to figure out, right? Colorado. Yeah. And that's uh, 630 at, two, uh, at Arizona. Pac-12 Networks, the third game of the Pac-12 Networks triple header. Who do you like? I, I really like Arizona in this game. They're at home. Colorado Colorado can't get to can't get to twenty points. Like I, they just really struggle with that. I, I I just pencil Colorado in at seventeen points in this game. If you are betting this game, just give Colorado seventeen points and then figure out what Arizona can score. Arizona's better on offense. They're better on defense. They're playing at home. They are 16.5-point favorites in this game. Uh, I love Arizona to win the game, and I think they cover easily, and I think there's a really good chance that Carl Durrell, uh, that this is his finale with Colorado, if it goes the way I have it. I have it 41-17, Arizona. It'll be interesting to see how Owen McCown, the Colorado freshman quarterback, plays. First road game for him. Second start, first road game, right? And he's the the one bit of hope if you're – if. Colorado fan, right? He's the one bit of hope that you can kind of climb out of this situation this season because uh, the, the offense has just been so bad. Quarterback play has been bad. Everything's been bad. And, you know, the, he's a talented kid. If he can show you something, Arizona's defense did not look good against Cal last week. And Cal is not exactly USC on offense. So there could be some opportunities for Colorado to score. And the other thing is Colorado has actually played well against Arizona. It's one of the few teams the Buffs have, have played well against the last few years. So, you know, I, I think that Arizona is going to end up, I, I can't imagine Colorado is going to execute well enough for the whole time to, to make it close at the end, but it could, this could be, you know, not a blowout by the end of the third quarter in terms of how's that for some kind of backhanded compliment for the Buffaloes. Right. But I could see this game, you know, being, 10, 14-point game at the end of three quarters, and then Arizona makes a few plays. And I keep coming back to, you know, the Colorado players know that Carl Durrell's job is on the line. 
do these guys play for him in this game? Because this is the kind of game where I think Colorado has enough talent to stay in this game, but will they, or do they? is there a vote of no confidence that happens on that sideline? So let's keep an eye on that. Arizona State is at USC, 7.30 ESPN. What do you see? Uh, I see that game being over. You know, I mentioned how I don't watch, you know, if games are turns into blowouts, I don't watch every play. I think that there's a pretty good chance that uh, that's going to be the case. <laughs> so I'll be able to pay more attention to the the Stanford-Oregon game by about 10 o'clock Saturday night, right? I have a hard time seeing ASU. They can't stop anybody, right? Eastern Michigan ran for 300 yards against them. Utah basically could have named its score, right? So it's going to be hard for, for ASU to stop SC. And I just don't know that they have enough playmakers to, to stay in it. I think that this is one of those deals where it's like a 27-point line, I think, 27 and a half. I, I maybe ASU covers backdoor cover touchdown late, but it's going to be, I think it's going to be ugly. I agree. Uh, I do think, I think 25, 27 points, it's too many points though. Uh, and I, and I want to come back to something on USC. Like the USC fans think I, I'm a hater, I'm not a hater. I just, I'm looking at this team and I, I expected more. I expected them to be sharper, better, more dynamic against Oregon state. They weren't, they look suspect. And Caleb Williams he was off in that game at, yes. at Reister Stadium. Now, I watched him at the end of the first series. He goes to the sideline. He, had inc- he did not complete a pass in the first series. He, he takes a football and a receiver, and he starts playing catch. And you normally will see that with a quarterback who's got something going on, right? Something's not right. Maybe, you know, I don't. So is there something going on with Caleb Williams? And that's what I'm looking for in this game. Uh, was it the... Oregon State defense, or was is Caleb Williams, is there something not right about him? So I'm going to tune in to watch that. But Arizona State has not shown me anything that suggests they can stay in this game. So uh, I got them losing, but I have it more like 38-20. You know, I, I think 25 to 27 points might be too much, but I think USC wins the game comfortably anyway. It's been it's the biggest uh, underdog ASU has been since the end. I because I look these things up right. Twenty uh, eight point dog late in the twenty sixteen season at, against Washington. That was Washington's powerhouse team that was going to the playoff, and ASU was a twenty eight point dog and covered uh, by a point or two. So uh, if you're looking for any kind of uh, similar situation. You know, that's a lot. That is a lot of points in a conference game. There's no doubt about it. So I would not be surprised either if ASU finds a way to kind of, you know, get in that back door, so to speak. Then we've got Oregon, Stanford, nightcap. And certainly given the history of this series, right? I mean, you've seen a lot of these games. Anything could, it, Oregon should win, but anything could happen. Yeah. And I want to get in a little bit. I want to talk about the game, but I also want to talk about David Shaw. But let's start with the game first. Uh, hate the eight o'clock kickoff. I agree with David Shaw on that. I hate that even, even uh, more than ESPN and ABC cutting away to show me Aaron Judge hitting a home run that, you know, puts him at seventh all time in baseball history. But anyway, that Stanford always seems to play Oregon well. Like even if you go back to last year, Stanford finished dismal at the end of the year. They they beat Oregon in overtime. Like there's something about this matchup that Stanford comes to play. Maybe Oregon doesn't. I don't know. But uh, the Ducks are 17-point favorites at Autzen Stadium. 
I think they could win this game. They advance. They become four and one. They 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 stay where they are in the rankings. But I don't see them covering seventeen points. I think it's a little much. I have it like thirty-one twenty-three. Oregon. I think they win. I think they're comfortable at the end of the game winning. But Stanford is a little squirrely always with Oregon. Oh yeah, a decade ago, right? Was the huge upset. Oregon was twenty-point favorite, ranked number one, and Stanford won that game in overtime. Right? We've seen we've seen a bunch of these. The two thousand and one game. Right, they kept Oregon out of the BCS championship. So, anything can happen. Uh, the the twenty what was it twenty eighteen game? Remember, Stanford had that eighty yard fumble fumble return that turned the turned the game, and they they ended up winning that one in overtime. It's it is remarkable how many times Stanford has beaten Oregon as a big underdog. Uh, certainly, it's hard to see this time, right? I mean, Stanford just the schedule alone is tough, right? They're third straight ranked opponent. Uh, they weren't really that competitive in Seattle last week. Can't run the ball. The defense isn't any good. I mean, that's I, I know you want to get into the David Shaw, and we should do that right now. But, boy, I, it's hard to see them stop in Oregon. Can, do they stay within 17 in your mind? Do they stay up? You know, I don't think they're going to stay within 17. I thought that they could cover that game against the Huskies, and I'm, I need to see it to believe it now with, with Stanford in terms of these big numbers because I keep thinking, oh, they're, they're going to – they're going to score enough with Tanner McKee to stay stay in it, and they're not scoring enough. So I'm going to I'm going to go with the Ducks to cover that number. I, I'm getting a lot of email and some tweets and some direct messages from frustrated Stanford fans who want to know why yeah. David Shaw is getting a pass. They want to know why he gets a pass with me. They want to know why he gets a pass with you, and why more importantly, why he gets a pass with Stanford. That my easy answer, and tell me if I'm wrong here, is. I grew up in the Bay Area. I watched Stanford, even in the Elway era. They kind of meandered along, marginal success when they had it. They you know, were mediocre a lot of years. You know, you look at Ty Willingham and Jim Harbaugh and David Shaw, and the program elevated. And in Shaw's time, three Rose Bowl appearances, 11 wins, 12 wins, 11 wins, 12 wins, 10 wins. You know, AP rankings in the top 10. You know, third overall in 2015, BCS game, whatever. Um, and then you see the fall off, and you see him, you know, going four and eight in 2019, was better during the pandemic, four and two, three and nine last season, now off to a, a slow start this season. My easy answer is David Shaw has built, he has some currency with the administration at Stanford and the fans. Also, at Stanford, Maybe winning on the field isn't as vital as some other places. I think they kind of pride themselves on being a little different. And I think David Shaw does a really good job of doing some of that fan-facing, public-facing stuff that Stanford loves so much. Am I reading that right? Is is that why David Shaw, there's not more cries for, for his job right now? I, mean, I think that Stanford generally is at a – crossroads with how it's going to view major college athletics and the changing economic situation, right? Not only name image likeness, but, you know, having compensating players for uh, academic achievements, the potential revenue sharing that college football is going to face here in the next few years is Stanford needs to figure out what, and maybe Cal too, what does it want to be? Right. And certainly I, I think there's, there's two, two things I'd point out. 
with with Shaw here, in addition to what you said, and I think you're right on about the currency. He's got a ton of currency. He's an alum who's won three three conference titles. He's winning his coach in school history. One is the transfer portal is killing them, right? They they can't get transfers in, right? Uh, the only transfer they have th- this past year, Patrick Fields, the safety from Oklahoma, he did it on his own, right? Enrolled at graduate school, told the football program, I'm coming. They cannot get undergraduate transfers. And that makes things very, very difficult in this new world, right? So are they going to uh, adjust their admissions policy? Uh, that is an issue, you know, that the, the president's got to, and the dean of admissions have got to deal with, right? But that is really killing them. And the other thing is, they just announced in March that Jared Haas, the men's basketball coach, who's been the coach since 2016, hasn't won anything, hasn't won a Pac-12 regular season title, hasn't won a Pac-12 tournament, hasn't even been in the finals of the Pac-12 tournament, hasn't gone to the NCAA tournament since 2016-17 season. They just announced he's coming back next year. So are they going to turn around and get rid of the winningest coach in school history, football coach, who's also, by the way, an alum? I just don't see that happening. And the reason they're keeping ass is because they feel like they have to, in order to give him a fair chance, they have to evolve into the, the new world of college athletics with transfers and NIL. So I'm sure there's the same thought process is going on with Shaw too, right? They have got to change the way the, they feel like they need to change the way the athletic department is being run or not run, but operating within this new world in order to give their head coaches a fair shot. And if they're not going to get rid of, uh, if they're not going to make a change in men's basketball, there's no chance in my mind, they're going to make a change in football, given, given all that uh, currency Shaw's got. It, it's, it's true with the portal at NIL, the portal gave USC Caleb Williams, you know, and, and, and Travis die the portal seven Pac-12 yeah. starting quarterbacks. Yeah. The, port, from the portal, the portal gave Washington, Michael Penix, it, Stanford, hasn't been able to reach into the portal and do that. They either have to figure out how they can do that, how they can play in that space, or you're right that the expectations have to be different than everybody else. But I just don't, I don't think that's going to appease fans, but that's the easy answer on why people aren't clamoring right now for David Shaw, who, you know, I think, you know, it's not like he forgot how to coach the, the calculus changed the NIL and the portal changed. And Maybe he retains players at Stanford at a greater level than others, but he can't go in search of an answer. And I noticed in the last two years, he he started inviting his recruits to spring ball and letting them participate and enroll early. He hadn't done that in the past. So I think he's trying some things, but uh, that, that's going to have to be a uh, an administrative shift of yep. philosophy, if well, anything Stanford else. Well, Stanford and Cal, Cal has a problem too, you know, getting – kids into the graduate schools at the universities is also difficult difficult so if you've got a player who still has eligibility left but he graduated in four years you know if he red shirts and uh he, he's a five on a five-year clock and he graduates in four years if he can't get into your graduate school he's going somewhere else and that's that's an issue with a couple of a couple of schools that and again there, these external factors, I think, are affecting Stanford and Cal, maybe to a little bit lesser extent, more than any of the other schools in the conference. He's John Wilner, Bay Area News Group superstar, at Wilner Hotline on Twitter. Make sure you're following him there. I'm John Canzano. You can find me at John Canzano BFT on Twitter or find me at johnconzano.com. 
Uh, make sure that you subscribe to this podcast. If you're listening to it and you're not a subscriber, hit that subscribe button. Make a commitment to us. Leave us some feedback or a rating. And we will be back next week after the big weekend games. And as you're watching the games, I want you to imagine John Wilner at his dining room table taking in all the action. Me in the press box in Salt Lake City or wherever the heck I'm going to be uh, watching a football game, taking it in. We'll be thinking about you as well.